It's the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA and Agent Anderson. Come along for this week's episode, 9-11 Conspiracies. All right, we're doing it again, folks. Hopefully we make it a yearly episode. Last year we did uh, topics. I did the Dark Overlord hacks, and I believe ETA did uh, um, investing stuff, right, ETA? Yes, yeah, prior knowledge and in, in, uh, options on, on uh, stocks. Yeah, that's right. So this this time around, we're doing uh, another couple of topics. There's way too much to go over it all in one episode. So again, we're choosing each choosing a topic to go over. I'm looking at prior knowledge of, that the U.S. government might have had about the attacks before they happened. And ETA, what are you going over this time? Uh, I'm going to be talking about conspiracies surrounding World Trade Building Number 7. All right. That's a good one, too. Well, let's jump right in here. So I want to start off with a famous memo. Um, I'm sure people have heard of this, but this was a, a, a daily presidential brief of classified intelligence from like the CIA and FBI and stuff. He gets this pretty regularly, whoever the president is. And this one was titled Bin Laden Determined to Strike in the United States or in the U.S. It's abbreviated. And this was given to the president, President Bush, on um, August 6th, 2001, which was about 36 days before the attacks. He was on vacation when he re- when he received this. So maybe he just thought, eh, I'll let somebody else worry about it. I got to I got to drink my martinis and play my golf. I don't know. During 2001, the CIA uh, analysts, they produced several reports of imminent attacks by bin Laden and Al Qaeda. Uh, senior officials such as Dick Cheney and um, staff from Donald Rumsfeld's office at the Department of Defense question whether these reports might not be deception on the part of Al-Qaeda designed to needlessly expend resources in response to the reports. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll we'll talk about that. Maybe I'll get into that a little bit later, but that's pretty typical of what the administration at the time said. They just said, oh, we basically don't believe it. We think that there's some shenanigans going on here, but they're not going to really attack us. That's what they said, but when you look at the weight of the evidence, it starts to look like that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but we'll get there. So after the administration responded, some some point after that, the CIA analysts produced another report titled, Osama bin Laden threats are real, <laughs> to kind of counter <laughs> what they were saying. It's like, no, seriously, seriously, guys. So this was, uh, this memo was kept secret until it was leaked in 2002. Mm. After it was leaked... They responded to it. The Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice said that it didn't mention a specific attack. And after I read, I'll read a quote from the, I'm not going to read the entire thing. It's actually pretty short. It's just like one page and a couple paragraphs. You can download it and take a look for yourself if you want. But it it didn't say, it didn't say, yeah, they're going to blow up this thing on this day at this time. All right. It's not super specific, but it's pretty specific. President Bush later said that if he had had any inkling whatsoever that the people were going to fly airplanes into buildings, we would have moved heaven and earth to save the country. That's a direct quote from him. Now I'm going to read the excerpts from this and you guys can go ahead and decide for yourselves if these people are being genuine or not. Okay. So it starts off. It says clandestine foreign government and media reports indicate bin Laden since 1997 has wanted to conduct terrorist attacks in the United States Bin Laden implied in U.S. television interviews in 1997 and 1998 that his followers, 
would follow the example of World Trade Center bomber Ramzi Youssef and bring fighting bring the fighting to America. Now I'm going to skip a few paragraphs because it it's good stuff, but it I'm just going to go to the good to the best bits at the end here. We have not been able to corroborate some of the more sensational threat reporting, such as that from a redacted service in 1998 saying that Bin Laden wanted to hijack a U.S. aircraft to gain the release of blind S-H-A-Y-K-H, Umar Abd al-Rahman, and other U.S.-held extremists. And this, Okay, here comes the important bit. Nevertheless, FBI information since that time indicates patterns of suspicious activity in this country consistent with preparations for hijackings or other types of aircrafts, including recent surveillance of federal buildings in New York. So let me read that again, and I want to stress that this was a briefing that was given to President Bush 36 days before the attack. Nevertheless, FBI information since that time indicates patterns of suspicious activity in this country consistent with preparations for hijackings or other types of attacks, including recent surveillance of federal buildings in New York. So I, after I read this, I kind of feel like, wow. oh, that's a short podcast right there. We're done, right? I proved it. I mean, they definitely had prior knowledge. <laughs> they knew. That's uh, that's absolutely crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's the enemy, as it were, I guess you could say, is spending resources, but still they, they come to the conclusion that, nah, they're just trying to make us spend resources. You know, they're, yeah. they're trying to di divert our attention, maybe, or whatever. I, I mean- not knowing what they know and, and not being in on the loop, obviously, there's only so much we can hypothesize on. But um, I got to think that how could they not know that that could be a, a definite possibility, if not, a, um, you know, a, what's absolutely going to happen if, if all that, uh, that op, you know, that action is going on. Right. And remember what Condoleezza Rice said. Basically, she said, well, yeah, we heard some rumors, but nothing specific. But when I read mm -hmm. that, that seems like really ultra specific seems, to me. <laughs> yeah. Very, well, the headline uh, of the uh, briefing, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. <laughs> it, what, are we do, what are we doing here? This is not the National Enquirer. This is like the CIA and FBI, like a summary. Hey, we've been looking mm -hmm. into this and you might want to do something about it, you know? Mm -hmm. That's, I, I would think that those people should be pretty credible. I would listen to them yeah. if, I, if I was in that position. Like I said, I kind of felt like, well, I, you know, slam dunk right there. I can stop right there. But, you know, the, we're at what, like seven minutes right now. That's kind of a short podcast. So I'll keep going because there's lots and lots <laughs> of other stuff for this prior knowledge thing. And it's, there's so much, the weight of it, it kind of, it's not like a conspiracy anymore. It's basically to me, it's just like a proven thing. They definitely knew mm -hmm. about it. Okay. So one of the things that they said, remember I read that quote by Bush that they had no idea that they were going to fly planes into the building. And they've also said things like, well, nobody, nobody thought that that would be a strategy. Like it didn't occur to us that people might fly a plane into a building. And I believe ETA, ETA and I have discussed this before on the show with things like um, the lone gunman, where there was a plot on the pilot episode where somebody tried to fly an airplane into the world trade center, <laughs> you know? Well, and there's, there's also um, a former conspiracy that was uh, derived by the uh, CIA during the Kennedy administration, um, I believe it was after the, the Bay of uh, Pigs incident in Cuba. Mm -hmm. um, but they, you know, so basically the, what they're trying to do was, was get the public's support um, in a war against Cuba. 
or, you know, potentially a war against Russia if it happened, right? Yeah. So they had planned on um, actually flying planes into the uh, Empire State Building and to, to as a mock terrorist attack. So that that's actually been planned by our government before. Right, yeah. And that's, that's the government that planned to do it. And the only reason it didn't happen, they had the plans drawn up and ready to go. They brought them to JFK, who was the president at the time, and he said, nope, I'm going to give you a hard pass on that one. So it didn't end up mm-hmm. happening. But yeah. if, I mean, people in our government were real willing to do this. And if there had been a different climate or a different president in power at the time, it very well could have happened. It would have happened. You know, I'm yeah. not, I'm not going to say this president or that president president would have done it. Cause I don't know. But the, yeah. the fact is there are elements in our government absolutely willing to pull something like that off. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. There's all sorts of different reasons why people are in politics. Yeah. You know, some of them are there for greed. Some of them are there for, for greed and power, you know, control. Some of them are part of clandestine, you know, organizations that are, you know, they have certain uh, goals they're trying to reach, I think. Yeah, for sure. So another thing, um, there's actually proof. We know for a fact that our government was expecting this sort of an attack because just one of many examples NORAD had run multiple training exercises simulating a hijacked civilian airliner crashing into targets like the World Trade Center. And the NRO had an exercise scheduled for actually for 9-11 for that mm-hmm. very, very thing, which, yeah. you, I mean, you can't really, it, you can't really say it any stronger than that. Like we were practicing this scenario. They definitely yeah. had considered it. So what, you know. Yeah. And, and they had a lot of military drills going on that day, which, which you know, is a very popular story, a, a very wide known story that, um, relating to that day, those attacks, Yeah, uh, is that the, the, um, the air operator, the air control operators, um, they, they, they had to confirm over and over, is this a real world situation or is this training? You know, like, yeah, they, they thought it was at first, some people thought it was part of that exercise. And well, that's, mm-hmm. I think that's a topic for next time, maybe, because that's a whole thing by yeah. itself worth looking into. Yes. Yes, it is. All right. So next, I'm going to talk a little bit about something called the Phoenix Memo. This was sent to FBI headquarters on July 10th, 2001 by Special Agent Kenneth Williams. He recommended making a worldwide list of aviation schools. And he was at the time, he was stationed in Phoenix, Arizona, and he was investigating a flight school where there were students with terrorist links learning how to fly airplanes there. And here's a quote from him why he wrote the memo. He said, He wrote it to advise the Bureau and New York of the possibility of a coordinated effort by Osama bin Laden to send students to the United States to attend civil aviation universities and colleges. Phoenix has observed an inordinate number of individuals of investigative interest who are attending or who have attended civil aviation universities and colleges in the state of Arizona. So, uh, I mean, red flag a bit, you know, a little bit. Mm Mm-hmm. The, uh, the recommendations of Williams were supposedly ignored and they did not get passed up the chain of command. I'm not sure what kind of government would say, ah, don't worry about it. They're just, you know, they're, they're not real terrorists. They're just, you know, whatever little, I can't imagine what they would say to actually to not pay attention to that, but yeah, either somebody dropped the ball big time or it was purposely just pushed off to the side or ignored. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that topic in just a moment. The Phoenix Memo became the subject of another communique in 2002 when FBI agent Colleen Rowley took advantage of the Federal Whistleblower Protection Act provisions to inform FBI Director Robert Mueller 
that his public statements about lack of advanced knowledge by the Bureau have no basis in facts. In her memo, Rowley wrote about the alleged suppression of the investigation concerning Zacharias Massari. And like I said, that's, I mean, you, we could do a whole episode on the Colleen Rowley by its, on the agent Colleen Rowley uh, deal by itself. But time and time again, when I was looking into this, a lot of people have come out and said that not just were their investigations ignored, but they were actually suppressed. And that's a little bit different than incompetence or just not believing that it can happen. Act of suppression saying, no, you're not allowed to look into this is a, that's a little different. I think it paints a different picture. Mm. So here's a quote I found from Kofor Black, the chief of CIA counterterrorism. He said, it was very evident that we were going to be struck. We were going to be struck hard and lots of Americans were going to die. And according to him, the Bush administration was warned multiple times of the threat, but ignored the warnings. He further says, to me, it remains incomprehensible still. I mean, how is it that you could warn senior people so many times and nothing actually happened? It's kind of like the Twilight Zone. And yeah, that's that's exactly what I think when I when I looked into this. It just doesn't make any sense at all that you would just ignore all of these warnings. Mm-hmm. And here's the, the quote from Bush where he talks about the airplane's prior knowledge. He says, nobody in our government, at least, and I don't think the prior government, could envision flying airplanes into buildings. Condoleezza Rice was quoted as saying, no one could have predicted that they would try to use an airplane as a missile. And Robert Mueller said, there were no warning signs that I'm aware of that would indicate this type of operation in the country. And the reason I'm kind of mixing these quotes in with the evidence is because it shows not just ignorance or incompetence, which usually that's what the skeptics will say is, ah, oh, they were just incompetent. It's beyond, it's a willful ignorance. It's beyond even that. It's, they're covering it up before it even happens, basically is what happened. Mm-hmm. So on the, uh, on October 24th to 26th, the Pentagon Mass Casualty Project exercise did emergency simulations for a plane crash into the Pentagon. And again, that's just another example of them actually planning for something like this to happen before it happened. They were ready to go. They were expecting this. But when it happened, they were uh, they were caught completely off guard, supposedly. It just it doesn't make sense that they were preparing for this and that they knew it was coming. And yet they didn't react or do anything at all, except for maybe they shot down one of the planes. But if you want to know more about that, check out uh, the last last year's 9-11 episode, because that was a bit of a bit of the dark overlord hack. Yeah. That, that situation was, it's pretty odd. The lack of debris and all. Yeah. I would just like to point out in 1994, there were actually three failed attempts to crash a plane into a building in the United States, including one where a small plane crashed onto the white house lawn. And again, just another, just another little bit of evidence that, yeah, they knew this sort of thing was possible. And not only was it possible that like ETA said, we'd planned it. Other people had tried it before. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they could have never imagined, right? Yeah, or they had no idea. We couldn't have imagined they would. Yeah. yeah no. <laughs> now, the 9-11 Commission, hey, they just, you know, they did such a good job investigating this. They said mm-hmm. the threat of terrorists hijacking commercial airliners within the United States and using them as guided missiles was not recognized by NORAD before 9-11, despite the fact that NORAD had plans and had conducted multiple simulations of exactly that. Yep. We also got reports from 
other foreign governments such as France, Germany, UK, Israel, Jordan, Italy, Afghanistan, Egypt, Morocco, and Russia. These reports warned that an attack inside the United States was going to happen soon. So in January of 2001, French intelligence warned the USA of a plot with Al-Qaeda that there were plans to hijack airplanes and crash them into buildings. Now, this wasn't just people having a beer and kind of, you know, shooting the crap. This was an actually mm -hmm. an official communication between the French government and the United States government. They warned us specifically that they were going to, the terrorists were planning to hijack planes and crash them into buildings. In March 2001, the Italian intelligence organization communicated with the United States government. They had wiretapped the cell phones of an Al-Qaeda cell in Milan, and they warned us that they were planning a large-scale attack using aircraft. That's pretty goddamn specific, if you ask me. All right, mm -hmm. fast forward to July, the Jordanian intelligence agency also warned of an attack. Also in July, the Egyptian intelligence agencies warns the CIA that 20 Al-Qaeda operatives were in the United States and some were at flight training. That's Dang. pretty damn specific. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and combine that with the FBI agent who also was, you know, watching those people in Phoenix who were training. And it just, mm. it all just sorts of, sort of starts to add up here. Anyways, in August, Mossad, that's Israel's um, intelligence service, they gave mm -hmm. the CIA a list of 19 terrorists living in the United States and said that they were planning an attack. Hmm. That's probably nothing. Also in August, the United Kingdom warned three times of an Al-Qaeda attack, including airplane hijackings. So, I mean, again, these all these intelligence agencies, they're all saying the same thing. In mm -hmm. September, the, just before the attacks, Egypt warned that Al-Qaeda is in the late stages of an operation against a target in the United States. And also, I couldn't find out exactly when, but at some point, United States allies in Afghanistan also warned us that something was going to happen. So that's those are the ones I could find from foreign intelligence agencies giving us a warning. And it's not like it was just one or two of them or it was somebody unreliable or whatever. It was mm -hmm. a lot like all of our major allies who had... Um, the ability to warn us about this did. And they warned us, they didn't just say, oh, there's some rumors that something's going to happen. They were very, very specific about what was going on, even to the point of, you know, saying that we have them in their, in their training for air, you know, at, at airplane schools, training to fly airplanes and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah it's very uh, specific what they're telling them. Yeah. Next up, I'm going to talk about a little operation called Able Danger. This was a classified military intelligence program that started in October of 1999. This program identified Mohammed Atta and three other hijackers before the attacks. And we didn't learn about this until 2005, I believe, when um, Congressman Kurt Weldon, he said he spoke to the House on, uh, on June 27th of 2005. He said, Mr. Speaker, I rise because information has come to my attention over the past several months that is very disturbing. I have learned that, in fact, one of our federal agencies had, in fact, identified the major New York cell of Muhammad Atta prior to 9-11. And I have learned, Mr. Speaker, that in September 2000, that federal agency actually was prepared to bring the FBI in and prepared to work with the FBI to take down the cell 
that Mohammed Atta was involved in in New York City, along with two of the other terrorists. I have also learned, Mr. Speaker, that when the recommendation was discussed within that federal agency, the lawyers in the administration at the time said, you cannot pursue contact with the FBI against that cell. Mohammed Atta is in the U.S. On a, on a green card, and we are fearful of the fallout from the Waco incident. So we did not allow that federal agency to proceed. Hmm. So just think about that for a second. This is, um, this is not some low-down janitor working at some top-secret installation, and he has some bullshit security clearance. This is a congressman who said to the House, he said that we had these guys ahead of time, we knew where they were there, we knew what they were doing, and we were ready to go in and get them and stop them. But yeah. when we tried to do that, the administration, meaning the Bush administration, they didn't let us. They told us we couldn't do it, and they put the uh, put the kibosh on it, as, as you might say. So this is um, what, what I was mentioning earlier. It's not just that that they were ignorant or that they didn't take it seriously. They actively tried to stop investigations from happening. They actively tried to stop people who were out to catch these terrorists. This is some pretty damning evidence from a very reliable witness, in my opinion. And I mean, again, like I could just do just that one quote and just, you know, and say done and call it an episode. But hey, why not uh, pile more onto the fire here? Um, and just to, just to follow that last quote up, the 9-11 commission claimed that it didn't get any info on able danger, even though the, um, the Congressman Weldon said that they did get it. In other words, the 9-11 commission is lying or Weldon's lying. And who do you think's more believable in this context? You know, for me, it's probably not the 9-11 commission if you know anything about them, but eh, who knows, maybe Weldon is, uh, you know, putting his entire political career jeopardy here and just kind of making stuff up about, about, you know, the most remarkable or most important attack on United States soil in our lifetimes. Yeah. Sounds, yeah, he said it on record. Yeah. Sounds believable. I guess there were some other whistleblowers that came forward. Um, there's actually quite a few. I'm not going to mention all of them because for one thing, it just take too long for another thing. I just don't feel like we have to, because you know, it's, it's just sort of the same thing over and over again. And we've mm -hmm. already established at this point that there are some shenanigans. So, um, you know, enough's enough. So anyways, FBI agent John P. O'Neill warned of an Al-Qaeda threat in 2000. He retired in mid-2001 because the higher-ups ignored or blocked his investigations into Al-Qaeda. And this, this gets kind of sad because after retiring, he got hired on as the chief of security for the World Trade Center, and he actually died in the 9-11 attack. So that's kind of... Um, that one's kind of frustrating because he was, you know, he was telling his higher ups, he's saying, look, this is going to happen. And, uh, he went, you know, he went to work at the place that actually he was, he was trying to stop the people from bombing. So that's kind of a sad story. Um, next up, we have a uh, David Shippers, the chief prosecutor of the impeachment of Bill Clinton. He said that the government was warned in 1995 of attacks on government buildings and, uh, that there were three different FBI agents that were warned about an attack in Manhattan. And that's where the World Trade Center is, I believe. And the agents told their, when the agents told their superiors, they were told not to pursue the issue and threatened with prosecution. So shippers contacted Attorney General John Ashcroft five weeks before the attack, but he was ignored. And I wasn't able to find if shippers was um, representing 
these FBI agents or what, why he's involved there. But um, according to this guy, who again is probably a pretty reliable witness, the three FBI agents were looking into this stuff and they were told not only were they ignored um, or they were not ignored, they were told not to pursue it. And they were actually threatened with legal action if they continued to pursue it, which is kind of crazy, right? They're trying mm-hmm. to protect our country. And they're like, no, don't protect our country or you'll go to jail. Mm-hmm. It's, it's insane. Yeah. It's ass backwards. Yeah. So Senator Bob Graham, moving right along here, chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee in 2001, um, he said that two of the September 11th, 2001 hijackers had a support network in the United States that included agents of the Saudi government and the Bush administration and FBI blocked a congressional investigation into that relationship. Now, this sort of brings up another topic that, again, this is one that's kind of too much depth to go into right now. But there's some shenanigans going on with financial ties between the Saudi government and the U.S. government, whether that's directly involving the Bush administration or if it's just business interests in this country, we'll leave for another time. But I'll just kind of leave that hanging out there. Well, I mean, I mean, the the, the Bush family has famously been known to have uh, business ties to that area. And, and as a matter of fact, the Bin Laden, the Bin Laden family. Yeah, actually, I think we might have mentioned that last time, but, you know, I it, believe we did. It's been a while, so... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Senator Bob Graham, this is again, he said that the details of the financial support of the terrorists from Saudi Arabia were blocked from release from the Bush administration. And um, he later said in an affidavit when he was testifying, I think like much later, like in 2012, um, that there were direct links between the Saudi government and the attacks, which again, another topic that um, were they directly involved? Yeah, who knows? But it does appear that that's the case. And I found um, just a sort of tie up this whole section according to cbs news i found a a report from them where they said this is a quote here two of the september 11th hijackers who lived in san diego in 2000 rented a room from a man who reportedly worked as an undercover fbi informant the fbi informant prayed with them and even helped one open a bank account so here again we have proof of direct involvement and this i put it in this section because it's related but um it's you know cbs it's especially in hindsight, all news outlets to me are not really that reliable. I don't trust them one bit. Yeah. Whether they're suspect left, right, center, I don't care who they are. They, a lot of them just make stuff up and it's hard to believe, but it's still an interesting quote. So I kept it in. Mm. The last thing I want to cover is when the attacks were happening, they identified the hijackers very, very quickly. So supposedly NORAD, Mm. um, before NORAD even knew that flight 93 was hijacked, at 9.59, which is, uh, that's eight minutes before NORAD found out about Flight 93, um, the FBI already had the list of the 19 hijackers. And just think about that for a second. Um, to me, this would only be possible if they already knew ahead of time who was on those planes hijacking them. There's no way they could have found out that information so quickly. But yeah. uh, who knows? Maybe they have some kind of magic computer that could just spit this stuff out. I don't know. But that's so that's like a really, really quick overview of if our government had prior knowledge. And I, of course, um, you know, dear listener, you can probably tell that I think that they did. But if you want to look into it, there's quite a lot more to it. But I wanted to kind of keep it short and simple. And also, you don't need to prove it 50, 15, 20, 30, 40 times. You only need to prove it once. And I think we have plenty of reliable evidence here that I just put out reliable witnesses, etc., to prove beyond a doubt for myself, at least that the Bush administration, everybody in our government from the lowest FBI agent 
all the way up to the president knew this was going to happen before it happened, even if they didn't know the specific targets, the specific date, and the specific time, they knew that it was going to happen soon. They knew what they were planning and how they were planning to do it. They should have been able to prevent it. So there you have it. Um, they definitely knew about it. They ignored all the warnings and made excuses, and they failed to act. The only two possibilities that I see are either they somehow didn't take the warning seriously or that they let it happen on purpose. With the overwhelming weight of the warnings, it's hard for me to believe that they didn't take it seriously, and the fact that lower-ranked FBI and CIA whistleblowers were threatened with legal and disciplinary action if they pursued investigations into the terrorists, and that all investigations into terrorist activities were blocked or shut down, it becomes shockingly obvious that they knew what was going to happen. They knew it and fought any effort to stop it. All right, well, that's that's my little bit for this year. <laughs> well said. Well said, sir. <laughs> so, yeah, my, my little uh, portion here is uh, World Trade Center Building Number 7. And uh, there's all, all kinds of little things surrounding this, little, little things, big things. Um, geez, where do I even start? So I, I guess I'll, I'll just start with like a, a brief history of the building. Uh, it was opened up in 1987. I believe it was 47 stories tall. And um, it was, uh, the, the lease was uh, controlled by uh, Larry Silverstein, Silverstein and Silverstein Properties. And um, obviously he, he was the one that also owned the lease for um, the WTC Buildings 1 and 2 as well. And um, th there's a lot of things surrounding that guy. I, the most famous thing that he has ever said uh, that most people know relating to this topic is um, pull it, right? Isn't that, the, isn't that the quote, pull it, when he uh, said that he was going to pull the building, right? Like, uh, isn't that a demolition term when they say pull it? I believe so. I'm not familiar with that quote. But can we just real quick, can, in case somebody's not familiar, can we say what the buildings are? So buildings one and two. Oh, those, oh, yeah, yeah. those oh. are the tall buildings that everybody's familiar with it that got hit by the planes, yeah. correct? Yes. Yeah. And building seven, that's a shorter building, like a shorter squatter looking building that was next to those buildings, right? Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, it was nowhere near as tall, obviously the, uh, one and two, I believe what they're 110 stories or something like that. Yeah. I think so. 111. Yeah. They're, and, they're obviously much, much taller. And according to the official reports, uh, Building seven was not hit by any airplanes, right? The planes only hit buildings one and correct. two. Correct. Okay. Yeah, I just yeah, correct. So I just want to throw that so out the, there for people who are unfamiliar. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, the report by NIST, uh, the National Institute for Standards and Technology, what they claim is that the the building was hit by falling debris from World Trade Center one, and um, it started fires within the building, and the building the heat from the uh, fires. Uh, became uncontrollable and it, it basically made the steel floor beams and girders um, fail. Um, I think, I think the term that they used with they was uh, they, they thermally expanded and lost uh, structural integrity and then they failed. Um, a couple of the key structure columns failed. So I, one of the things I want to talk about is uh, the accelerants that were present in the building, supposedly it, it was a, you know, a, a regular office building. Um, maybe there could be been some, uh, secret you know spots in there where where maybe materials were were held i've heard some people uh, theorize about that but i'm not so i i've never seen any evidence for that myself um inside that building uh we do know that there was actually a, a cia office inside that building as well and supposedly there was uh databases and stuff with uh information all kinds of information you know that they had uh collected i don't know exactly what was on there obviously they're not going to release that but i think the 
it's possible that destroying some of the inf- inf- information could have been beneficial to who knows who, you know what I mean? But um, it, well, let me get back to uh, talking about the building itself. Um, the building itself was, uh, you know, what would be described as a standard, you know, steel uh, construction building. It wasn't constructed the same way as uh, World Trade Buildings uh, 1 and 2. They were, you know, uh, everybody knows a pretty unique design where they, you know, the outside of the building was a key part of the structural integrity. You know, it, it wasn't uh, just like steel girders and beams um, connected together, you know, in a, a traditional style. So one of the things I want to talk about um, in particular is an example of a simple, uh, uh, a similar type of fire that supposedly happened in a similar type of building. So, so uh, that building, World Trade 7 Building 7, it, it only had like uh, paper, office materials, you know, wood from like, uh, I don't know, desks and stuff like that, I would imagine. A lot of paper and stuff like that, but it, there was no like uh, crazy super accelerants or anything like that, you know? In my opinion, and others' opinions as well, I don't think that uh, there was enough heat there to make that building collapse the way it was supposed to have collapsed. Although, you remember last year we talked about, um, there was a document uh, from the Dark Overlord hacks that suggested Mm -hmm. there were thousands of gallons of kerosene or generator fuel that was stored in Building 7. And it was was actually Mm -hmm. kind of stored there improperly, I hesitate to say illegally. And the, uh-huh. the official report did say that Building 7 fell because of paper fires. And one possibility is that the they said that so that the Port Authority didn't was not liable for the damage. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. if, for more on that, listen to last, last year's episode. But we don't know 100% for sure. I just wanted to throw that out there as a possibility. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and but also if, if that was the case, then... Um, there should have been one hot spot within the building that the fires were supposedly spread out pretty evenly. And they also said that because if you look at the, uh, the footage of the way that building collapses, and I know that there's been a lot of debate um, between many people on, you know, oh, it doesn't look like a controlled demolition. It didn't fall to, into its own footprint. Well, it, it fell pretty damn close <laughs> to its own footprint. You know what I mean? And all, all four of those corners were very even coming down. It, it wasn't like uh, one side just started collapsing and then everything else fell followed with it. It, it was pretty much all at once, and it was at, at a free fall speed as well. At, at any rate, um, th- there was a, uh, in 2005, uh, February 12th, actually, 2005, there was a uh, hotel fire in Mad- Madrid, Spain, and um, it was the Windsor Tower Hotel. It was a 32-floor hotel, so it wasn't as tall as the uh, WTC seven building, but it wasn't, it wasn't too far off, you know? Um, but it was a very similar construction uh, of a building. And um, it, it had a, a complete, like a tower that, that went completely up in flames and um, the thing didn't fail. It, it, uh, it, it held structurally. I mean, obviously everything else was damaged. The, the building was destroyed. They had to, you know, uh, de- demolish it. But um it was supposedly a very similar type of fire, but this was, you know, a, a, an actual <laughs> fire that engulfed a building. You know, if, if um, that fire in the WTC uh, World Trade Center Building 7 had gotten so out of control, we should have seen that whole building just bellowing, you know, fire out of out of a lot of windows and stuff. And while there is footage of some fires, 
they don't seem to be very big. It doesn't, you know, it just doesn't correlate with uh, what we see, the, the explanation of what happened, official explanation. Yeah, not at all. From what I could find, I looked into this, not this year, but I have looked into it previously. From what I could find, there's only been a couple of buildings that have ever, uh, buildings of this type of construction that have ever fallen from fire. And that just so happens yeah. to be the World Trade Center buildings. There's no other yep. structure like that that's ever fallen from being on fire from as far as I know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah. Yeah. So it's uh, an anomaly, you know, it's uh, it doesn't make sense. No, not at all. One thing that I wanted to talk about was a very interesting uh, video that anybody can look up on, on the internet. As a matter of fact, I, I rewatched it on uh, preparation for this. Um, it was a BBC reporter that was in a another high-rise building, and she had her back facing uh, a window behind her. And um, they were actually talking about how uh, the building number seven had fallen. Yes. Um, how it was on fire. The reporter in the studio um, at the desk um, is is saying this, you know, and then he hands it off to the uh, the, the female reporter that's on scene, basically um, in New York, and they're talking about this, right? Talking about how the building fell and. If you look behind her, you can see the building still standing. And as a matter of fact, they reported it about 20 minutes before the building fell. So it's it's one of the it's a crazy thing that you can you can go look up right now. Ah, um, it's just a coincidence. There's nothing to see here. Oh, Move along. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a coinky dink, yeah. you know. But that's always one of the biggest things that stands out to me when whenever I, I think about this, you know. Well, number seven, the building number seven in particular. Um, cause I remember watching that like the day, I think it was the, the either it was a couple days after maybe or something like that, because obviously immediately after the event happened, um, you, could, you know, people started talking about, Hey, there's some, there's some big red flags here. You know, there's all sorts of stuff that people were, uh, were, were posting online and stuff. Um, some of the interviews of, uh, you know, the firefighters and stuff is, is also another thing that really stands out. You know how they were talking about like, uh, explosions in the lobby and in the uh, basement level as well. Yeah. I'm getting a little off topic, but yeah, that, that, that always stands out. That's yet another topic. Like, that's what I mean, man. You got to keep, <laughs> it's just too much for one episode, you know? I know. And, and just another little side note, if I can, <laughs> if I can, uh, humor myself, if people don't know, this wasn't the first ta attack on the uh, world trade center. There was actually a bombing, um, on the, uh, in 1993 of the, of the world trade center. I just wanted to say that real quick because I think that doesn't get mentioned very often. And I, I'm not going to say maybe those attacks were, are uh, related, but I think it's very, very odd, you know. That, yeah. But anyways, I, I digress. Let's get back to the topic. The uh, the BBC reporter is, is standing there and, and you can see right over her shoulder the um, a bunch of billowing smoke, black smoke coming out of the building. Like I had said, it, it doesn't look like the entire building's on fire. There, there's a bunch of smoke coming out of it, that's for sure. But it doesn't look like it's fully engulfed in flames, not to, uh, in my opinion, but, you know, what does that mean necessarily? So the BBC actually had uh, replied to, you know, people talking about this video and stuff. And, they, you know, they're trying, they're trying to uh, cover it up, I guess, or help people make sense of it, maybe. I don't know. But they had actually said that if we reported the building had collapsed before it had done so, it would have been an error. No more than that. <laughs> well, hey. Well, yeah. All right, then. <laughs> hey. Yeah. Hey, you know, somebody definitely, uh, screwed the pooch on that one. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know what? I agree. You know, that that's a, that's a good point. That's a very, very good point. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. But, but, um, so anyway, uh, the next topic I want to talk about is, um, so supposedly 
there was a, a information databases that were holding um, information relating to a, a investigation that was going on into missing money out of the, the uh, defense budget. If people uh, were paying attention at the time, before, right before 9-11, uh, Congress was actually having hearings um, with many different, you know, politics or I mean, uh, uh, people like uh, Donald, Donald Rumsfeld in particular about this issue. Uh, and, and there was supposedly over two point three trillion dollars, trillion dollars missing from the defense budget. That's a huge amount. Um, ah, they could just print and, more. No, no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so these databases and, and there's more databases that we'll talk about a little bit later as well. Supposedly, there was uh, uh, information being held on these databases, and, and obviously, if you're trying to hide something like uh, missing money out of uh, any budget like that, especially the, the defense budget, and that much money, eh, you know, this might be very beneficial for it to be just completely and utterly destroyed, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That'll actually lead me to uh, what I, an, another thing I want to talk about is um, some of the people who were – I mean, there, there was a lot of different entities that were housed within within that building. Well, the biggest one was uh, Solomon Smith Barney, and, and they took up a, a large portion of the building. But um, th there was a lot of other uh, in very important uh, entities within that building as well, like um, the New York uh, Office of Emergency Man Management. I mean, that's that's a, a pretty important uh, office right there to have um, up and running during an event like this, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I would think. But um, there, there was also uh, the U.S. Secret Service had multiple offices within there. I'm not sure exactly, you know, they, they have a lot of investigations and stuff as well, but I'm not sure, so sure how relevant that would be, you know, uh, in conjunction with this attack. IRS had uh, offices in there. Um, American Express, uh, their bank, they had a lot of offices in there as well. Um, but the, the most important one, I think, is, is the CIA. The CIA uh, supposedly had a... Uh, like I had mentioned before, a, a large office in there with uh, many databases and um, supposedly the FBI was sharing those databases as well. I guess uh, they had their own in there. You know what I mean? And those were the ones that uh, were supposed to have that evidence on on them. The next thing I want to talk about is actually a group um, that is uh, for, I guess some people call them 9-11 truthers or what, I guess whatever. And I think that, that term has kind of been, I don't know, for it, it's been morphed into something that that – it shouldn't be, you know, it's been bastardized, I guess you could say, you know, um, it's kind of like one of those, those, uh, terms like conspiracy theorists, you know what I mean? Like when you, when you hear that, when most people hear that term, they think tinfoil hat or something like that, yeah. you know what I mean? So when you hear nine 11 truth or that's all oh, you think it was an inside job, you always hear these same terms, um, you know, responded back to people that, that think that nine 11 might've been not what was presented, I guess you could say. Mm -hmm. One group in particular, I think that's probably the most uh, well-known group, and there's been a couple of them, but um, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth Incorporated. And um, that group was actually started by a, um, an architect out of San Francisco named Richard Gage. And he founded it because he, he wanted to um, get a bunch of people together, uh, people, you know, from those two particular industries, people who have, have you know, specific knowledge of uh, what had, you know, you know, those buildings and, and how they should have acted within those attacks. And um, one of the main things that they're, they're disproving was like, like stuff like the pancake theory, mm -hmm. you know, it, which, you know, doesn't necessarily uh, pay too much attention to physics. You know what yeah. I mean? Because mm, <laughs> uh, I mean, oh, well, hey man, pancakes are super sweet, especially blueberry. You name a, a theory love... after any food and I'm in. 
You got me. <laughs> <laughs> you damn skippy. So I mean that that pancake theory doesn't doesn't take into account like how much that that rubble and all, that that structure should slow down as it's pancaking. You know uh, that that building, both the towers, they they fell at damn near free fall speed. Yeah. You know it was it was it was. I don't think it was even – it was maybe one second off or something like that, free fall speed, if I, I remember correctly. I don't remember the details, but, but it was pretty close. It was damn close. It shouldn't have been anywhere near that close if uh, if there was a bunch of friction involved, you know. These people have been, you know, discredited uh, in, in the uh, media. Their reputations have been attacked for being, quote, unquote, 9-11 truthers, you know. But when you uh, when you have uh, groups of engineers and architects, professionals – you know, they're, they're not um, politicians. They're not people with uh, particular ties to anything that, that's going to give them motivations to make money. It's a nonprofit group, by the way. So they're not trying to get rich off of this shit. You know what I mean? They're trying to find truth. Uh, and, you know, obviously that's in the name too. So it, to me, it's kind of frustrating that like these guys aren't really listened to very much. And, and the 9-11 Commission didn't listen to them at all. And they repeatedly tried to, you know, uh, gain an audience with them. But um, it, these guys are the professionals. They know what the hell they're talking about. These are the people that, that deal with, with uh, buildings and structures and, and the science behind it day to day. These are the people that know the most about it. I think we should listen to them. The thing is, for, for average people like you and I, if you tell me mm -hmm. a building is supposed to fall this way or that way or it's supposed to jump 10 feet and then fall or whatever, I don't know. I'm not mm -hmm. an engineer or a scientist, so I, I can't make heads or tails of most of this stuff. But these people mm -hmm. are engineers and scientists, and they're taking a serious look at this stuff. And you don't necessarily mm -hmm. have to agree with them, but they are experts in their fields, and they do have an important voice on this topic, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely they do. Who else are we going to listen to if, if not the experts in that particular field, I guess? Well, we could, we could listen to, you know, Donald Rumsfeld and Condoleezza Rice. That, I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, as, to quote uh, old Donald there, you know, we can't, we, we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. Is that what he said? Or we can't know what we don't know? Uh, I don't. I forget. But but my favorite quote from that administration has got to be, what is it? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me mm. twice, you ain't going to fool me again. Is that how it goes? <laughs> oh, the classic. Yeah. You know, I've actually seen a, a picture online of somebody got that tattooed on themselves. I think it was like on their shoulder or something like that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> it was like on a scroll or something. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was. Yeah, that, that's hilarious. There's the thing about about Bush, it, whether or not you think he was a good president, which you know I think we're probably making the case here that he wasn't. He does seem like a really likable guy. Like it'd be fun to have some beers with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, have some beers, hang out, you know, on the ranch over there, and clear some brush. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember uh, whenever whenever uh, they were trying to you know get get his uh, approval ratings up and stuff like that, they would always show him at his ranch, you know, uh, clearing brush. Yeah. <laughs> Every time it was him clearing brush. Like, God damn, man, how much brush is out there? Wearing, you know? wearing jeans, some boots, and one of those uh, checkered shirts or plaid shirts or whatever, right? Yeah. He's just a country pumpkin, <laughs> yeah. you know? He's uh, <laughs> he's just uh, salt of the earth, you know? He puts his legs on one pant at a time or whatever. I think I messed that up, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, whichever comes yeah. first, you know? There's, of course, a lot more to, to that surrounds this stuff, but... I think that's, a, you know, the majority of what, what I had to talk about. All right. I like getting real specific when it comes to 9-11 because otherwise you just go down so many different rabbit holes and you just, it's really hard to know like how to organize th things or how you would talk about it, 
you know, in relation to each other, it gets real complicated real mm-hmm. fast. And there's, there's so many topics yeah. we haven't even touched on, you know, like nanothermites and dustifications and all kinds of crazy stuff that people, you know, different theories, but yeah, I guess that's, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. If you have any questions, comments, theories, or anything at all, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, I think, what do you want to do next week? You want to do uh, Kenneth Arnold? Um, yeah, I'm done for that. All right, let's do it. I also have a, a couple in the bag that I haven't edited yet, so I don't know if the next one's going to be Kenneth Arnold, but it's, it'll come up soon. <laughs>